How many of you guys like saying goodbye? Yeah. I think there was some, something that marked me. I was a uh, uh, sophomore in high school, and my sister, Irene, um, we were dropping her off at college in the University of Illinois. And, you know, we were close. We weren't, like, super, super close, but we were, we were close brother and sister. Um, and she always kind of watched out over me when I was a kid. And as we dropped her off in college, and I was driving back through these cornfields, like two and a half hours with my parents, um, the kind of magnitude of the, the reality that she was gone. And, uh, you know, the, the girl that had grown up for 16 years with every single day as my friend was not going to be there, um, I just cried. I, I cried for like probably an hour in a car, um, like messy cry. And, <laughs> you know, I, I don't like cry. I, I don't like saying goodbye. You know, I remember when Isaac, you know, when we were praying for him before he, before he kind of was sent to another church, I, I messy cried. And there's something about saying goodbye that kind of breaks our hearts because ultimately in, there's a sense of almost finality, like something's going to be different. Um, and, you know, part of what I'd like to kind of share God's heart today is to help us to see that even though this, um, the ascension was in some sense a goodbye for Jesus and his disciples, he was going to use this amazing reality to change the world and change how we interact with God and others forever. Last week, Brian described to us the present, present reality of access to God that we find in Mount Zion. Um, earlier in this sermon series, we heard Darren show um, Jesus transfigured on uh, Mount Hermon, and Brad did a great job of talk, talking to us through the Samaritan woman at Mount Gerizim. Um, we've seen Jesus deliver the servant on the mount, and we've seen recently um, in the, um, over Good Friday and Easter, uh, Jesus' crucifixion and, and res- resurrection. Today we're going to come to the final mountain in Jesus' life, the Mount of Olives and Ascension. What I hope to show today is a couple things. Number one, a sense of the ge- geographic area described in the mountain and why it matters historically. Um, secondly, I want to get in a sense of what's, what's going on in the disciples' heads um, that as they watch their leader you know, go into heaven. Um, thirdly, I want to meditate on the ascension and what Jesus means when he calls us to be witnesses to the world and how he's going to empower, or how he does empower us to that end. Um, so let's get started. Um, first off, where is the Mount of Olives and where, some places where it shows up in the Bible? I um, made a little Google, Google Earth um, video so we could see a little bit. So here's where we are, Trinity Church. Um, and, you know, I'm not a really much of a geography person. And so, you know, it's really helpful for me to see, like, where, where it is. So we're, we are zooming out. We're going to go over the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Mediterranean and the, the um, Jerusalem. Um, and, you know, Luke says in chapter 2450 that the ascension occurred as far as Bethany. And later on, Acts um, one twelve, he describes it as a mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, which is coming up on our map. Um, what you're going to see is as we get closer, there's going to be kind of a video showing um, like where it is in context of the city of Jerusalem. But some of you guys may be aware there's uh, the, uh, the uh, Temple Mount. It's the uh, big built building in Jerusalem with like a golden dome on it. Um, it's on a hill that... Um, that rises above Herod's temple in Jerusalem by about 250 feet. Um, and because of its proximity to Jerusalem, there's many times where it shows up in the Bible. Um, one, of the times that, one of the first times it kind of specifically appears um, is when Jesus is fleeing from his um, rebellious son, Absalom, who's taken over the, the country. Um, and it says he's retreating through tears 
um, through th uh, th this Mount of Olives area. Later on, when we get to Solomon, um, we'll see that later on in his life, he, when he's um, kind of rebelling against God and uh, pursuing other, other gods, um, he builds temples. Uh, he builds temples to the pagan god Chemosh, uh, who is the, um, the Bible says, detestable god of Moab, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, where they sacrifice children. This was in the first Kings um, 11 to 7. So this, this is a hill that unfortunately there are these pagan temples built on. Um, and these temples stood for generations until King Josiah um, in 2 Kings um, 23, spurred on by his zeal for God's holiness, um, declared that the, he wanted them raised to the ground. Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Um, another place where it shows up is in the book of Ezekiel. Um, did you show that yet? Okay. Um, it says in, in chapter 11, 23, and the glory of the Lord went up in the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Um, and if you think about it, this is in many ways kind of pointing to the ultimate glorification of Christ as he ascends. Um, and in the book of Zechariah, there's a prophecy in um, chapters 14, 4, about the upcoming day of the Lord, where there will be a climactic battle over Jerusalem. It talks about how liver, living waters flow out from Jerusalem, in the, um, where there's king over all the earth. Um, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And right now, um, I don't know if you saw it in the videos, but there's, um, there are these graves. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, there's these graves that fill up the mountainside. Um, and the reason why is, according to Jewish tradition, um, this is where the Messiah is going to come, and that those buried there will be first to be raised up again. As well, um, the Mount, Mount Olives shows that many times in the New Testament. Um, this is where um, Jesus preached his sermon called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, that's where we heard about the times when he was predicting the, um, the destruction of Jerusalem. Also, um, the Mount of Olives is located between Bethany and Jerusalem. So, you know, Bethany is where um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. And you can imagine, he kind of went back and forth between Jerusalem and visiting his friends many times. Um, it was on the, the base of Mount of Olives that the Garden of Gethsemane is located. And this is where Jesus was waiting to be arrested on, on the night he was betrayed. Um, looking at the garden, uh, looking at the kind of the picture today, it's not hard to imagine um, how it must have been like for Jesus and his disciples almost 2,000 years ago. And it's how fitting that in this place of real histor historical significance um, and deep spiritual significance um, where Jesus might have taken his di disciples to have his um, last kind of glorious day on earth. Um, let's take some time to read through the first chapter of Acts. Um, in the first uh, book of uh, o the Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he was given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, quote, you heard from me. For, God, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When Luke opens the book of Acts to us, he points to us that um, for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus stayed among his followers, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the disciples during those 40 days to have Jesus just kind of suddenly appear and, you know, do, you know, miraculous things or um, open up God's word? Um, I think it was, must have been amazing because in some ways Jesus was kind of tying together the entirety of scripture in the past and helping them to see that he was the one who tied it all together. 
There's a movie I don't necessarily recommend you watch, but from, my, from the 90s um, called The Usual Suspects. Has anybody ever seen that movie? I, I watched it when I was a high schooler. Um, it, it, it's, so in the movie, it's, it has a really kind of long, kind of complicated, really interesting story. But in the last like five minutes, there's something that happens that like ties everything together. Um, and when I saw it, I was like, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> it all makes sense now, you know? It, it's, it, it's actually quite good. Um, for a rated R movie in the 90s. <laughs> so, but bring it, why I bring it up is because Jesus was the one who was, um, ultimately scripture is all about Jesus, right? Uh, from the Old Testament to New, the, the, the Messiah was prophesied from the very first, you know, first chapters of, of Genesis. Um, and Jesus in a beautiful way kind of works everything all together. Um, can you imagine what it would have been like for Jesus to be sitting there next to you talking to you about Isaiah 53? Um, how he's a suffering servant, how he's going to be the one who paid for the sins of Israel. Or perhaps how he goes to Malachi and talks about how the coming king was going to come to Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, and all these, all these different things were um, Jesus is pointed to in the Old Testament that they hadn't missed because you know, they hadn't seen it in, in real life. And now here he is. We think about those, um, the followers of Jesus on the way to Emmaus where he uh, miraculously appeared to them and Bible talks that they, how they, their hearts burned within them while he was talking to them. Um, and I don't know how, um, how it is with you guys, but sometimes when God is really moving on me, um, <laughs> you can feel this kind of like a, a life burning, you know, in, in your soul. Um, and, you know, today is Pentecost. I, I remember there was a, a conference in uh, life. It's called Life 95. It's a Christian Missionary Alliance thing I went. Um, and at that conference, it was not Pentecost, but there was a moment where, like, I tangibly felt like the Holy Spirit kind of moving my heart and my life, um, and it, I felt like my, my whole body was burning. And I'm not saying everybody needs to have experience like this, but for me, that was like, oh my goodness, there was something, like, significant happening here, and my life has been different since then. Yeah, he's given me um, boldness and confidence to... to you know, proclaim the gospel and to, to live for Jesus in a way that was different from 95. So um, later on today, we're going to be having a time where if folks want to be prayed for, um, that they can come up here and, and we can just really pray for the Holy Spirit's activity in us. Um, but I just wanted to, you know, thinking about that, the burning that Jesus, uh, that came when, they, when people were interacting with Jesus, we want to be our hearts to burn with the, in us with the power of the Spirit. Um, so I'm probably not the only one here who would like to have Jesus kind of hang out with us and, you know, teach us and show how, how it is. Um, you know, I, I have lots of questions, and I suspect you guys would too. Um, Jesus' um, Jesus' command to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Um, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Makes me wonder what his disciples and his followers were thinking after he told them. Now, Jesus had told his, um, his disciples earlier about the coming of the Holy Spirit, just a couple weeks before. Um, in John 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things that, and later on in verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I told you before it takes place, so when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus was very clear with his disciples that he was going to be leaving them to go back to his Father. Everything that he had told, about, told them in the past about his upcoming death and his resurrection had come to pass. Jesus had already conquered sin and death, so it might be reasonable to assume that it would have been easier for disciples to embrace the fact that he was going back to heaven as, since it was part of his ultimate plan. But I don't know about you, but there's definitely a part of myself that would have been like, hey, Jesus, I know the Holy Spirit's good and all, um, but wouldn't it be great if you just stuck around this for a while? Maybe you could show up to more people, do some miracles. You know, in our day and age, it's very easy for us to um, want a hero. You know, sometimes we, we admire someone so much, and it's like, yeah, this guy speaks for me. You know, he's sticking it to the man. Um, if I'm honest, I would have loved it if Jesus stuck around, um, and he could be like the hero of Christendom in bodily form. But it wasn't what was best according to God's plan. Why? Jesus, in his human form, was limited to being in one place at one time. So... If Jesus was in Jerusalem, then he wouldn't be here with us, right? Um, Jesus, uh, the Holy, the, while the Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts of every single believer, everywhere on earth, um, Jesus spoke to crowds and taught things about the Father, but the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of believers all over, teaching us all things and drawing sinners to Jesus. The Lord Jesus did miracles uh, in Jerusalem and all the area around um, but the Holy Spirit blessed the apostles and the early believers with supernatural gifts to authenticate the, um, the gospel that they were preaching. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit was and is the ultimate multiplier. Um, what amazing power, what amazing reality to have the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead um, in our hearts, um, comforting, convicting, and emboldening us. Um, but what do you think the disciples thought? I mean, they hadn't, experienced the Holy Spirit yet, and so I can imagine they would have been really kind of scared about what would it be like, you know, Jesus was their, their hero, their protector. Um, I think about the reference where um, Mary Magdalene, when she first, uh, when she saw the risen Christ, she had clung to him, she was, you know, so grateful to see him, and Jesus said to her, um, don't cling to me, um, for I have not ascended yet to the Father. And I think when he was saying this, he wasn't saying, don't touch me, you know, clearly Jesus was okay with people touching him. He told Thomas to touch his hand and stuff like that. I think he was reminding her, you know, I'm going away. I, my, my presence is not going to be physically here with you forever. Um, so don't cling to, this, to my bodily presence. And he realized the only way that we were going to be able to access God's power and his um, might would be for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of a gentle reminder don't hold fast. You know, Jesus is great and we, we love him. Um, but ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one who he gave to us. He said, as, as Barb referenced, better for uh, me to go away, for Jesus to go away, and for the Holy Spirit to come than for him, him to be with us in person. So let's go again to verse 6. Um, it says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. 
Have you ever wanted something so badly that not a single day went by without you thinking about it? Maybe it's a good thing that God seems to um, withheld from you. You know, many of you guys know that for many years, Sophia and I struggled with infertility. We um, had, didn't, we wanted kids and we were not able to ha have them. And for years we did um, t tons of medications. Sophia had hundreds of, of injections or over a hundred injections. Um, we spent thousands of dollars in, in medical care. And every single day we thought about, are we, we going to have kids? Uh, are we, we going to have kids? What's going to be my legacy? Um, and, you know, many of you guys were praying for us in this journey. It was, it was a really, it was honestly one of the harder journeys of our life. And, you know, I'm so grateful for the care that um, we received as a couple from you guys. Um, but every day we thought about um, how we wanted to have kids. And we thank God most days for our kids, you know. <laughs> there's, there's other days we're like, why, Lord? Um, but, you know, most days we're, we're, we're freshly grateful for the way that God has provided for them. Um, this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, points to a similar longing by Jesus' followers. <clears throat> Throughout Jesus' ministry, people wondered, like, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who's, who is to come? You know, this, this Messiah was supposed to come and bring in a, an era of peace and prosperity and um, God's dominion um, in eternal kingdom. They spent hundreds of years for waiting for God to fulfill this promise. Um, and here was Jesus not only proclaiming that he was God's one and only son, um, but doing miracles, showing people God's heart, ultimately dying for Israel and our sins, and being resurrected. You know, he, he showed that he was um, what was pro prophesied in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, um, rising to conquer death eternally. Surely now that Jesus had, sh had uh, shown through his resurrection that he was who he said he was, surely now he would enter in this, this, this uh, eternal kingdom of political freedom and peace and power. And, you know, from the disciples' perspective, this is a good thing, right? I mean, it'd be a good thing for God's kingdom to rule on earth. Um, and oftentimes our longings are for good things. You know, we want to have a godly spouse. or It's a good thing. We want to be delivered from illness. Um, we want to be passing a test or growing a church or um, being delivered from sin in our lives. And all these things are, are good things. Um, yet Jesus' response here is a reminder that God the Father's perfect will is not for us to know. In this lifetime, we may never see or receive what we are longing for. You know? And God is still yet good. His plans are perfect, but he's under no obligation to reveal them to us. So what do we do? There is a old um, children's worship song that I was taught many years ago. Um, probably familiar with some of you guys. It's trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And that's what the disciples did. Um, and that's by, what, by God's grace we can do. We can trust God through seasons of weakness, um, where we have job loss or financial stress. We can trust God when he, it's his will to take away our kids or a spouse. Um, trust him when friends are reject you, or maybe if you know, the, the team that you want to be in power is not in power. Um, trust him when you have an unbelieving child or a parent. God is on his throne and not us. He cares for us, and his ways are higher than our ways. He works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Instead of dwelling on the fact that it wasn't his father's, his father's business what the father's timing was on restoring Israel, Jesus instead in verse 8 pivots to remind them of the previous promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in, in Judea and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Trust and obey. Stay and wait. God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, was coming, and he would empower us to carry the good news of the gospel to a dying world. Matthew also adds the famous Great Commission to the end of the book. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going to get water since I now know why Darren does this. <laughs> um, so how can these words be true? Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus isn't here with us in bodily form. We don't, you know, sitting in the congregation, it'd be cool if he did, but um, he's not next to you when your kid breaks your arm or you know, when your spouse just died, but he promises to be with us. How? Jesus is with us right here, right now, because of his chosen helper, the Holy Spirit. He dwells in our hearts. Um, he's, the Holy Spirit's been given to us to dwell in our hearts and bring the presence of Christ in the glorious mystery of the Trinity. The Holy, um, and the Holy Spirit will never leave us. He is in our midst. He's in our hearts right now. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you trust in Jesus for your, um, for your, as payment for his, his death as payment for your sins, and if you're trusting him um, by his grace um, to be your Lord and Savior. Um, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You're never alone. You know, the certain general gave an announcement um, about two months ago talking about how there was an epidemic of loneliness in our country. Um, and I'm sure you guys have all had moments where you felt lonely. Um, you know, there's times when you feel like no one understands or no one can relate to your situation. <laughs> Jesus is with you. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> and he's with me. He's with every single one of us. You know, in those moments of darkness, when you feel like everything is so overwhelming, or when you feel tempted by sin or feel condemnation from, you know, your struggles in the past, Jesus is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. We're never alone. Um, I think one of the interesting and just hard kind of things that happened in, in, the, in the Gospels was when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, and he says, among those born of a woman, none, there's no one as great as John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Than, than him. Um, first off, I want to know who's that, that last person, <laughs> the, the, the very, very least. Um, it's probably me. Um, but um, how is that this reality that John the Baptist, who is this great prophet, um, and, and Jesus says he's among those born of women. There's none greater than him. And yet the very lowest person in the kingdom of God um, is greater than John the Baptist. You know, clearly it's not because we're, we're more godly or um, more eloquent. It's because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Um, we have, the, we have the, the power of, of God through the Holy Spirit to empower our, our speech and to engage our hearts. Um, something that John the Baptist he, he didn't know necessarily what the, um, the crucifixion and the resurrection was going to be. He just knew that Jesus was the one. Um, and so that's a great comfort to me. You know, there are so many times when I look at myself and I'm like, you're a sinner, you're proud, you struggle with anger towards your kids, you, you are greedy, you're so broken. And I think every single one of us, you know, we're broken, we're messed up. 
Every single day we're confronted with the reality of our sin. Um, and yet, God in his grace has chosen to choose us and to use us um, to accomplish his purposes despite our weaknesses. So, um, finally, this, this um, passage closes with, this, um, with this, these verses. When he said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When this passage talks about Christ being lifted up in a cloud, taking him out of their sight, it recalls some passages that we might remember from the Old Testament, um, where the cloud of glory called the Shekinah was associated with God's presence. Think about the Israelites in the wilderness where there was a pillar of fire and a cloud uh, that was guiding them um, by day and night, um, or a cloud surrounding the, the tabernacle where God's presence surrounded the holy place. It was, not, um, it was not lost in Jesus' followers that this ascension was very different from the times earlier in the 40 days where Jesus kind of appeared and disappeared um, out of thin air. I think seeing the physical body of Christ um, being raised up uh, must have had an aura an of kind of um, finality to it. And yet, um, we and disciples are reminded of this reality that the Jesus who went up to heaven will someday return, um, and he will be coming back in glory. Um, now, I think it would be very easy for us to be like the disciples here, or we're just standing up and looking at the sky and like wondering, you know, Jesus, when are you coming back? Um, and I think I'd like to suggest a different way to invest your life. Um, Jesus, in his, some of his last words to his disciples, tells them that they and we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and to the very ends of the earth. You know, Luke wrote the book of Acts in Greek. And I'm not a Greek scholar. Michael Gregory probably knows a lot more about this than me. But um, do you know what the word, Greek word for witness is? Anyone? It's uh, martyrs. Martyrs. M-A-R-T-Y-R-A-S. Does it sound like any other word you know? Martyr. Yeah. Jesus knew that his followers would experience persecution if they were true witnesses to his resurrection. What does a witness do in court? They testify to what they have seen or know. Stephen, one of the first Christian martyrs, was not dragged before the Sanhedrin and because he was, quote, preaching the gospel every day and, if necessary, using words. He was murdered because he was um, declaring the reality of the risen Christ and his resurrection and calling for repentance. Peter was crucified um, by the Emperor Nero and was responsible, who was also responsible for beheading the Apostle Paul. <coughs> Excuse me. Early church history says that Thomas was killed by a spear when he was sharing the gospel in India. Um, in, um, in Acts 12, we read about how King Herod um, killed, uh, in addition to John the Baptist, but also James, the apostle, not uh, Jesus' brother. These apostles were not killed because they were quiet and unassuming. They were martyred because of their boldness in proclaiming the risen Christ, the gospel of repentance. In more modern times, how about how um, there's a pastor named John, um, John Rogers, who was an English clergyman who heard and believed the gospel from fellow martyr William Tyndale, who worked on tr the English translation of the Bible. 
Um, John Rogers preached passionately against popery, idolatry, and superstition, and incurred the wrath of King Queen Mary I, who was strongly allied with the Catholic Church. Um, I'm going to read a small section of the, the uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's talking about ultimately how he was, um, oh, you'll find out. Uh, <laughs> um, so there in the presence of uh, Mr. Rochester, comptroller of the Queen's household, um, and both the sheriffs and a great number of people, um, he, he, John Rogers, was burned to ashes, washing his hands in the flame as he was burning. A little before his burning, his pardon was brought, if he would have recanted, but he utterly refused it. He was the first martyr of all the blessed company that suffered in Queen Mary's time that gave the first adventure upon the fire. His wife and children, being 11 in number, 10 able to go, one sucking at her breast, met him by the way as he went towards Smithfield. The sorrowful sight of his own flesh and blood could nothing move him, but that he constantly and cheerfully took his death with a wonderful patience in the defense and the quarrel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about Stephen um, as he was being martyred. What would allow G uh, Stephen to approach um, death with such glory and, and joy? You know, he talks about his eyes being opened up and seeing Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. Um, you know, if, if Jesus had been a single person here on earth, um, he wouldn't have been able to see him. But because Christ ascended into heaven to stand at the right hand of God, he was able to be this moment of encouragement, such that Stephen was able to, you know, anticipate death with joy, but also to be able to pray to forgive the people who were killing him at that moment. Um, what kind of witness are you? I'm not saying that you need to be burdened at the stake, um, literally or figuratively, in order to be a witness. However, I am saying that our evangelism needs to be more than just having vague conversations about God and spiritual things. Our conversations as Christians need to be specific. We need to talk about who Jesus is, the need for repentance from sin, the necessity of saving faith, believing in Christ alone for, his, uh, for our salvation. Um, evangelism is so much more than just being a kind and moral person um, and hoping that someone asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. No doubt our moral witness and showing the love of Christ adds weight um, to, the, to the power of our witness. However, there's a reason why so many of the early followers of Jesus went to the grave amidst perse persecution. It's because they were boldly declaring gospel truth even in light of difficult situations. You know, when we hear about the Holy Spirit being poured out on someone in the New Testament, almost always it's, the context is someone um, is um, proclaiming the gospel boldly. Um, and so I think, you know, there's many ways and the many fruits that the Holy Spirit gives us, but I think one of the manifestations, one of the clearest manifestations of gospel of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives and hearts um, is the bold proclamation of, of the gospel. I fear at times that um, many of us in the American church have gotten distracted by things like politics or social issues um, or the pursuit of entertainment or acceptance rather than being faithful to the Great Commission. Church, this is one of the reasons why God has left us here on earth. We are to be his witnesses. Sometimes being a witness is costly. John Rogers was going to give up his very life with his wife and many children left behind on the issue of transubstantiation. Friends, what are you going to give up your life for? Is it for the pursuit of worldly success and power? Is it to live a life of comfort and security? 
what is the cost of being a, a following Jesus and being a faithful witness to the good that he has done in your life? Brothers and sisters, I think about the great cloud of witnesses uh, who gave up their lives pleading with people not to go to hell and to turn from their sins to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think about the urgency of the brothers and sisters in Nepal and India and the Middle East who are giving up their safety, their property, their families in order to follow after Jesus, knowing that they, the cost of, of discipleship um, could cost them everything. Um, and all that we're risking, all that I'm risking, when I am afraid to talk to someone about Jesus um, is maybe a moment or two, two of being embarrassed or feeling rejected. You know, I was blessed to have lunch um, last week with Isaac and Lydia, um, and they shared with us how one of the ways that God has been working in them and one of the ways they're trying to be faithful is doing street evangelism um, in Westside Market and other public areas. You know, that's hard. You know, I talk to people about Jesus all the time in my practice, but talk to a stranger on the street, that's hard. But God is faithfully using them to engage in people's heart, hearts and lives that they never would have interacted with otherwise. Um, and I asked him, you know, how successful is it? And he said, it's not even about that. It's about being faithful. And I don't know about you guys. I want to be faithful. You know, Jesus talks about in the parables about the, the virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom and the servants that are waiting for, the, uh, for their master. Um, and the ones who are, um, are praised at the end are the ones who were ready. You know, they were found ready. Uh, they... They were, you know, trimming their wicks. They, they were doing the, what they were supposed to do. And when, he, when the master came, you know, when the bridegroom came, they received the rewards of their uh, faithfulness. I am 43 years old this year, which means by American standards, I'm about half dead. Um, <laughs> I, I think about this every single day, honestly. Wait, in the sense that I can't wait to be with Jesus, you know, <laughs> and then one, one, one more day closer. Um, but... There's no reset button on our lives, you know? You can't go back and be like, ah, that was a that wasted day, you know, reset, do it again. Every single day that goes by is a day that we could spend ourselves for the glory of Christ, or we could spend it on ourselves, um, you know, binging a TV show on Netflix, or, you know, counting your, your stocks and see how, how much money you've made or lost, oftentimes lost. Um, you, or, you know, or we could be spending our lives, you know, serving Jesus. Um, I don't know about you, but to the end of my days, whether it be 86 years old or, you know, 56 years old, I want to face the Lord, my Lord and Savior, and I, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, that's just my, my yearning for this. Um, I, I, I want to read, actually, I got, a, um, got an email from um, Asha Negi. Um, you guys might know Asha. She used to go to Covenant of Grace, or one of our kind of friend churches in Akron. Um, and right now, she's in Nepal. Um, and I was just so encouraged by her email. I, I just love how she writes. Um, this, is a, this is a woman who, um, she's a nurse, and so she functionally gave up a, you know, mid to upper, you know, middle class ex uh, safe existence in the United States in order to go to India, um, and currently she's in Nepal. Um, and I'm just, I was so moved by how God is at, at work in her life, so I'm going to read it. Um, I don't know how to describe how grateful I am for this curtain season. As most of you know, I recently came to Nepal to take place in a five-month discipleship training school. This has been the answer to many of my prayers, and seven more of my good friends have, from India have joined me as well. The Indian Bride of Jesus is being sent to nations as I've been praying. Every day here is filled with new impartations and encounters with Jesus. 
in, a first, in a few months leading up to joining the school. I was literally experiencing a Book of Acts lifestyle as several good friends and I traveled city to city, home to home in India, and we saw many healings and salvations along the way. We also read and listened to the Book of Acts many times in that season. More importantly, we deli delighted in the sweet communion with Jesus that we had throughout. God was doing so much that I wondered if the growing call to Nepal that I sensed was really from him. He was so kind to speak to me and confirm multiple times that it was. He asked me to take another leap of faith and give up the security of having, open, ha having an apartment in India and put my things in the storeroom for the time being. I'm so glad to use that rent money to see God's kingdom expand in Nepal. What has been so beautiful about this season in Nepal is, it is how my daily life in India had become an overflow um, that is poured out where, wherever I go with him, whether I'm in a bus, taxi, cafe, street corner, on top of the mountain. We don't just share Jesus in the scheduled outreach times there. We are sharing him all the time. Almost every day, people are choosing to follow Jesus after meeting him through us. Any ministry that happens only flows from overflow, a fire of love that never burns out. I'm so in love with him and all of who he is each day. May I always catch myself, if, even for an instant, when I become too familiar or bored and think that I've seen or know all that there is about him. My constant prayer these days is that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's from Ephesians 1, verse 18 to 20. This is my prayer for myself and you. Um, if there's any prayer requests you have, I would love to pray for you. I'm so grateful to be living here again in Himalayas. And I'm every day uniquely reminded of his beauty by the landscape here. I'm co constantly healed, challenged, convicted, and sharpened by the Holy Spirit, especially through the lives of teaching of the people I'm meeting here. Every day is a fresh drink. I just want to be more like Jesus. I quite simply believe that every day there's so much more of him to have. He enjoys me and he enjoys you, and fellowship with him is the most beautiful gift he has given to us. Asha has sacrificed, in many ways, um, her life of, of American comfort um, to go to India and now Nepal um, in order to be a means of grace uh, to the people in Nepal. Um, we think about um, Tirta and how he's, you know, faithfully carried the gospel to so many people who are in desperate needs, desperate spiritual need. Um, I want to be faithful like Asha. I want to be faithful like these, um, these pre previous saints who have um, given up their lives for the service of Jesus. A wonderful reality for me is, as I look across our church, is I see people who have been faithful for many, many for decades, many for longer than I've been alive, um, who serve Jesus in the middle of seasons of weakness and of pain, and those who um, continue to serve in, sp in spite of their growing years. <coughs> I see faithfulness all around me in the old and the young. I love seeing people like Holly um, and Jenna who are going to be going overseas and sacrificing their time and their uh, energy and monies um, to be witnesses to unreached, unreached people groups. I'm provoked by the examples of Gus and Barb um, who, uh, even in their relative age um, and relative weakness, um, still want to engage almost everybody they meet with the hope of the gospel. Um, brothers and sisters, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We have all that we need. We have God's word, and we have the power of the risen Jesus um, dwelling in our hearts and our lives. And I think we just need to ask God for more and be 
like Asha, or daily taking in, you know, the bread of life and um, asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And I think as we do, it'll be, it'll be more a natural impulse for us to die to ourselves and turn away from the things that are um, hindrances to us and then walk faithfully in this path of, of following after Jesus. I think about Paul in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, 5 to 8, where he says, um, at the end of his life, uh, as for you, always be sober-minded, ensure, uh, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul finished his life as a witness, confessing Christ even through trial, suffering, beatings, um, starvation, and, and, and ultimately death. Why? why? Why did Paul do this? Because he saw the treasure that was waiting for him. He saw the, the risen Christ. He knew that the glory was coming. He knew that Jesus was worth it. Jesus is still worth it today. May we be faithful martyrs for the cause of Christ, by the grace of God, and for his great renown. Let's pray. Lord, we are unworthy servants. We are weak, we're frail, we're just humans. Um, and even on our best days, we um, lack the strength to, to honor you, to represent Christ um, to the world. I'm thankful, Lord, that even though, Jesus, you left the disciples and you're no longer here in person with us, you sent your Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts um, and to live in us. Lord. Holy Spirit, we long for more of you. We want to be living lives empowered by your strength and grace. We want to have that kind of boldness um, that um, the apostles and the disciples had. Lord, we thank you that we don't need to be chained up by our sin, that Jesus Christ died uh, to pay for those sins, and he's freed us so that we can live for you. Thank you that you're not limited by us and by our limitations. We think about um, Paul, who was a Pharisee, or um, John Newton, who was a slave owner, or St. Augustine, Augustine, who was a sex addict. Um, every single one of us, we come with our, our sin and our brokenness, and yet you um, redeemed us, and you have given us life through your spirit. Um, and so I thank you, Lord, that by your spirit we can um, be risen again. We thank you that Jesus has ascended to the Father, and he stands at the right hand of God advocating for us, um, being our intercessor. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as we consider um, what the ascension means for us, well, that we would be filled once again, or maybe freshly for the first time, um, by your spirit. And I pray that for those who are listening and a, either wondering who um, this Jesus is and um, who maybe have been standing in their own righteousness thinking that I've been good enough um, or that they would realize that you can't be good enough. There's a holy God that, that is um, impossible to please apart from you being holy. Um, and Lord, that's, um, but there's grace. There is forgiveness in Jesus who lived a life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. But we, um, by his resurrection, could be renewed and be reconciled to God. And so I pray, Lord, help us to be martyrs. Help us to be witnesses to what we've seen. Help us to know 
what you have done in our lives and to be able to proclaim these things with, with zeal and, um, <laughs> and this desire for people to know and to hear um, and to be saved, to be rescued from hell. God, we can't do this on our own. We are small, we're weak, but in you, we are strong. In you, we are powerful. Um, so Lord, it's all about you. And I pray that as we go and as we um, return to worship, that you would um, be marking our hearts and convicting of where we need to, to be dying to some of the areas which um, are not from you, so that we could be refreshed and renewed and filled up once again by your Holy Spirit's power. Pray this for your glory and in your name, Jesus. Amen.